So, you ready to start a podcast? Well, Spotify for Podcasters is the absolute perfect solution. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters. They make it super easy to record and edit right from your computer. And not only that, it lets you distribute your content everywhere and even earn cash. And the best part, it's absolutely free. You literally have no excuse. So I suggest you go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters and start creating today. Welcome to Hardly Initiated. It is your host, Tyshawn Jackson. Here with another episode of my co-host, Ryan Ketch. What's poppin'? Yes, yes, yes. Guys, I'm so excited this episode because we got the Queen Bee back on the show. That's a fact. And for a part two, I don't know if y'all saw the first episode here, but we are rocking here with a legendary soul. Y'all know this woman. You know her face. You've probably been watching all your childhood, adulthood, a little bit of both because she's been on divorce court running uh, for was it over fourteen seasons? It was fourteen seasons, yeah, it was great. Fourteen seasons, and that that guys is a record, and she's here to share her experience, her knowledge, her love. I mean, it's so much more than just divorce court. It goes vast beyond it. But y'all better go ahead and tune into the first episode we shot with the queen herself, Judge Lintola. Welcome to Harley Initiating. Hi, guys. Good to see you again. Good to see you, too, because that, that first episode, Judge, went crazy. I think we got over 350,000 views. And just the counting. I mean, the comments were extremely transformational. I, was, I wasn't surprised by the comments, but I, because, you know, of course, and we know you, you're super famous. You know, we, we thought that when we got you on the show, right? right? But the level of reverence that both men and women have for you, I'll be honest, I was very shocked by that. And... I, you know, found that most of the people who are actually watching you over those 14 years, they weren't just watching for entertainment. It was really a relationship and the and the mindset transformation. So I just thought that was the most wonderful thing. And, you know, let me tell you this, Judge. Here's, here's what's interesting. I've noticed that in the relationship space, most people choose sides. They either end up talking solely to the women mm-hmm. or they end up talking solely to the men. But what I found most interesting is that, don't get me wrong, the women love you. But look at the comments of the men. Usually when the women really like a video, the men, they got a whole different opinion. Yeah. But the men were like, yes, that's a woman. Yep, yep. That's what, that's, she, man, I, her husband is lucky. <laughs> like, that's the, that was the whole consensus of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's very special how you're still able to teach this principle that both men and women can look, look, uh, look and learn from in this space because I, I just see that as rare. And you know, it's it's like, my mother was always one of, you got to call them like you see them. You got to call them on both sides. And I remember when I first took the bench in 1994 in Cleveland Heights, I got a note from one of the cops that says, you're really strict, but you're fair and we appreciate it. So um, we know they, they, they were saying, we know where your strike zone is. You know, this is okay. And that's not okay. So if everybody knows where your strike zone is, you can pitch correctly. It's mm. a bar right there. If everybody knows where your strike zone is, you can pitch correctly. I like that. Is it baseball? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Man, well, well, well Judge, I, I want to, um, first off, thank you for, for giving us some more time. Yes. Um, this time is special, um, just as last one last time was, but this time it's, it's, a, little bit, it's a little bit different. For those of you that uh, don't have context to what's going on, I think we shot with you in early to mid-December. Yeah, I think it was mid. No, no, no. It was towards late December because um, I recall uh, I did the thing with you and I was supposed to stay until Christmas Eve because we were shooting my show, Judge Me Not. And um, for some reason, the next Tuesday before Christmas Eve, I was like, screw it, I'm coming home. And um, he died like three days later. So had I stayed, I wouldn't have been home. Not that it helped, but um, so it was was late December. I remember seeing that. I literally remember just texting you, making sure you got home safe. 
we had a conversation. I'm telling my mama about the situation. I'm because you know it's, it's it was holiday times. We with the family, and I see it pop up on my phone what had took place. That you literally you had just lost your husband right after. Really, the whole episode we did was almost a dedication to him, because in some way, shape, or form, we literally the entire time we talking about him we ended up talking about him and i know i think half the views you got on that video were mine because um it gave me an opportunity i don't know it was just so comforting he died so suddenly and we just didn't understand anything and nothing made sense but when i watched that video it was like he was still here because i was talking about him in the present tense because he was there and all of those things were true and all of those things really happened. And it kind of transported me back to the last moment in time. Well, close to the very last moment in time um, that my world was still upright, you know. So I watched it and I watched it and I watched it and I watched it. And it just, it was comforting. It, it really was. And I appreciate having that to, uh, you know, to... Uh, well, we appreciate you, and um, that was very special for the platform and our audience because, Judge, you, you've definitely changed many lives and many relationships, even with that short amount of time, that hour and a half or, or, or so that we actually spent with you. And um, one of the things that we, we found is that a lot of men and a lot of women really were um, praising the way that you actually show appreciation for your, your late husband. And I'm just very curious, in this digital age where social media is a big part, of how we think and, and, and how we do things. Do you think it is necessary for a spouse to show appreciation uh, on, on the, in the public setting? Can I say, I think we're going about that backwards. Okay. I deserve no praise for appreciating him. He deserves praise for being a man that could be appreciated. You know, I couldn't have said those things about him if they weren't true. And I wouldn't have said those things about him if they weren't true. All I was doing was telling you what happened. And um, in order, you cannot do whatever and have your spouse praise you. You have to do right. And then if they don't, that's on them. But he showed up in this world as an extraordinary human being. And um, I just had a... Last week, I mean, you know, his oldest, a couple older guys are in 50. And, you know, just every once in a while, one of them will call me, can't talk, you know. And because uh, he was so significant to all of us, including his sons. So it's not about me being an appreciative spouse. It was about him being one hell of a human being. And you could always decide to be one hell of a human being. You know, you always can decide that. And I think to the extent that you would, that people expect to be spoken well of, absent actions that inspire that is 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 a little foolish. You know, it's, it's what, what I would say is, I, I think uh, uh, we're going about a few things wrong. I think you called that out the right way. I think we're going about a few things wrong in this in this day and age. I even think the even the 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 whole marriage, the way we look at it might be a line correct judge because I think a lot of us have set the goal and the destination to be marriage when really it's really to do with what with, with you're doing. Like the goal is actually to leave this earth with your partner, to stay married. Right. That actually is what the whole purpose of marriage is. It's really till, till death do us part. And you know, the thing about it is I'm, I'm curious to know because me personally, I'm just not good Judge, I'm not good with like the whole grief aspect. I'm me personally, I t I have some real toxic tendencies as it relates to grieving. As far as you know, keeping myself human. What do you do? Just just not think about it. I just want to not think about it. I just want to not feel it. I just want to stay focused. I don't want it to overwhelm and overtake me because I know it's a lot. And I, I want to ask you in general, because as somebody who's been able to, you know, be with someone and have that depth of a relationship and you are, are in this process 
Um, how have you been able to, like, what have you been doing to navigate this new chapter of your life? Well, you know, it just, it was, it's kind of like, um, it's a day-to-day thing. Um, when he first died, I mean, I, I was on a treadmill and he walked across the thing. I said, bye, baby, I'll, I'll see you. I said, I'll see you. Don't forget to tell Bill to do da da da. Yep, 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 yep. A couple hours later, I get a phone call. You ain't never gonna see brother again, right? Mm. So in the first, you know, I had to go down there. And um, I mean, it was two days before Christmas. You know, my concern was what am I have for Christmas dinner? Mm. And um, brother. First couple of days, it was like, I don't believe this is happening. I don't believe this is happening. And uh, my sons were with me, my two youngest. And uh, you know, we're in a room. They tell you the jacked up part. They call. I was on the phone talking to Doctor Ish. And they call, and the hospital called, but it wasn't the hospital that he was going to. He was getting a test, and uh, they called another hospital called, and I said, "Well, I don't have anything to do with this hospital. I don't, I don't, you know, blah blah blah." They called again and again, and I finally said, "Ish, let me hang up the phone because I don't know why these people keep calling me. They must have the wrong number." And they said, "You know, are you Lynn Tolia? Yeah, we got your husband in our emergency room. He's in critical condition. You need to call him." And um, I did. My son got up. We drove there. And uh, when I walked into the emergency room, I told my name. And she picked up the phone right away. Click, 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 click. Lintolic. So I knew it. It's dead when they called. So the woman comes out. And I said, just tell me that he's alive. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I said, so he's dead? Just tell me, is he dead? I'm sorry, I can't tell you that. You have to wait to talk to a doctor. So you know he's dead. But you don't know he's dead. And, um, you know, it just, it was... I was, it, it was just, and alarm bells, and, uh, you know, lights, and sirens, and, you know, one son threw up, and it was just, but, you know, it was like so out of the blown. And so I was just like, well, I spent the first weeks just not believing it, you know, and then there were so many things to do. And then I, I'm sorry. Could you ask another question? Oh, listen, I, I, you, you taking me through it. You taking me through it, and I, and I, I can understand how hard something like that is, especially when you have no prep time for probably one of the hardest things that can ever happen in your life. And I guess now, I know you mentioned watching that video as one of the things that you've been doing to, you know, kind of have you put yourself in a position to just feel a little bit better, like feel a little bit closer to them. Is it, has it, any, has it been some other things that you've been doing to like really help you in this process? Something that's been really like just been keeping you in good spirits? You know, I call a lot of friends at all hours. You know, I do that. Okay. And and how would you, because, you know, the grieving process is very different um, when it's uh, an intimate partner that passes. And, and I'm very curious if you, you know, could advise or, or, or counsel, you know, some, some people out there who are, you know, supporting a loved one through that process. Is it anything that you would recommend, uh, you know, somebody's friends or family to, to, to do for that person? in terms of, of, of the best way to, to help them sort through things? Shut up and listen. Mm. 
you know, I mean, a lot of people try to tell you what to do and this and that. And then I did. I had a couple of friends. I had a girlfriend who had just lost her husband after 35 years or 36. I called her and I called. I knew a couple of widows, you know, had a whole new tribe of chicks, you know, down for the cause, telling me, yep, yep, that's okay. I know you got his shoes on. That's all right. That's all right. You know, and it, it just telling me everything I'm doing is okay. So that was good. So, you know, shut up and listen is a wonderful thing. It is. It's, uh, but I've gotten to a place where I can enjoy them a little bit. It was a time where I couldn't, but I can now a little bit, you know, a little bit. I can, you know, like I enjoyed that video a lot. And um, I don't know. And I just, I have my, I used to couldn't talk about him at all. But now I got it contained. So I can cry when I leave here. I don't have to cry now. Hmm. You know, I mean, I know it's going to happen, but I don't have to do it now. I can get choked up, but I stop because you saw I stopped myself. Cause I don't want to start crying because once I go, I go. So I got it contained well enough that not that I'm not feeling it, but I can, I can, I can designate a time to go ahead and do it unless something really stupid happens. You know what I mean? That unexpected. And then I'm not emotionally prepared and then I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll go upset, but I got, it. you know, I'm maintaining, you know what I mean? Th that makes sense. And, um, you know, oftentimes... I don't think this is going around. Okay. Am I saying anything until... I don't know how I'm sounding. Hold on. Let me tell you, Judge. You sounding exactly how you supposed to sound. You sounding like you. And and I think we, we appreciate that, Judge, because I think, every, first of all, everybody understands what the situation is. Everybody has lost a loved one. Nobody has... Many people have not lost a loved one to the magnitude that you have. So, you know, you, it's no pressure for you to come on here and, you know, put on a performance. We just want to hear your thoughts. That's really what we want. Um, I think you even gave some really great advice about just even just shutting up. I think that's why, too, I found it very hard. Re more recently in my life, I've been able to, be better at supporting people throughout the process because as a man, I, I always felt like supporting somebody while, gr while grieving is just such a powerless place to be in because I like to fix things. I like to have solutions, but literally you have no solution in that place. There's nothing you can really say. There's nothing you can really, there's not even a magic touch or even hug that you can do to take the pain away. It's literally just being there. Right. Like I had a next door neighbor. They're the nicest people. And um, when we just got back and we just found out he was dead and I didn't know where his car was or anything and my sons and all that. And he, he, he just, the next day, he just, my son was there and he opened my, but opened the door and he just walked in with this big bag of food and he just went in, opened my refrigerator, filled it with food and left. That wow. was wonderful. You know, just he just filled my food with the and just walked out, didn't talk to me, nothing. I that 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 was great. You know what I mean? That was just great. And I had a couple other dudes bring me meals. It was funny, interesting. And and then then this one woman, uh, Henrietta. Oh, this chicken burn. She put her foot in it, and uh, she brought out some food. And what? And my son says, "Man, mom, this is better than." <laughs> that's what it is the love man the love of the people good old southern woman Henrietta went from splitting a pot roast and, a, and she knows I love the devil egg so she got me two dozen it was great it was great I um I, I'm happy that you you know you're in a position to where you have uh, close friends and family to support you and, um, you know, we had you on the show the first time. It was so crazy because we got all sorts of comments. But one of the main things from what people were communicating about that 
episode was that you just had this spiritual presence and how you really spoke to their hearts and their minds. And it just seemed to really be very transformational, like I, like I spoke about earlier. But I am just very curious because every time we speak to you, it, it, you, you do speak with this level of, of depth. And I want to ask you, how has spirituality played a role in, in all this that's going on with you emotionally right now? And that's good. Absolutely. <laughs> give that one. I'm angry. I ain't gonna lie. I'm angry. And I don't get it. And I, I don't know how to be spiritual about that, but I'm angry. And I... Let's skip that. You know, when you actually look at the stages of um, of grief, what I actually looked up myself when I went through it, I think anger is actually anger is actually a stage of grief that they describe that most people typically feel, and there's a few of them. It's, um, I think it starts with denial, then it goes into then I think then then there's anger. It's 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 a it's a whole myriad of things that you experience, um, a very a very confusing um experience for sure that you know we still figuring out to this day and um did you feel did you feel like you know now as you know your your husband now is is no longer here did you feel more pressure to have to really support the people around you did you feel like you had to be strong for you know the sons and daughters around you let me tell you these jolly jokers like to kill me <laughs> I was, I was ground zero. I was ground zero for everybody. And, you know, that's what you do. You're the mom person and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my sister my sister flew out, you know. And, uh, you know, she's funny. She just, uh, she's a neurologist. And she's just, she needs to eat all the time. And she's had a stroke, so she can't remember nothing. And everybody's got on my last <laughs> Mm. You know, it, it it really was. Everybody got. I feel so disjointed and tacky, guys. I don't know. Mm. Can I tell you why I don't like your shirt? Yes, please don't. Yes, I don't like your shirt because I'm not feminine. What more much you that? You have to be a good. I don't have to think. I don't think you have to be feminine to be a good woman. Mm. Now that's a different direction. First of all, just why you why you think you're not feminine? Because when when you came in here, I felt a divine feminine presence while you were here with me. Likewise, and it's one thing I did that you saw or I said that was feminine. Honestly, your your entire movements like, I I mean, you you were very light with your movement, very animated, you know, and it, it, even the way you sat, I thought all of that was was very feminine, and um. That's what I could do. That's no, what I could do. you had your legs curled up on the couch. I you know it just. I guess my thing is, and I I never considered myself a feminine walker. Mm. I think, and I mean, I've always considered myself a bit of a tomboy, and I just don't think, I think on a whole lot of levels we're getting femininity and womanhood mixed up. I get it. You know? mm -hmm. Not submissive. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, oh. My fingernails, my hair, my clothes. I got all the t-shirt. I got, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. From the kitty section at Target. You know what I'm saying? And I don't cook. I'm not good at cleaning. I'm not, I'm not uh, soft-spoken. I'm loud. I, I, I walk in a room and I take charge. I don't, uh, I don't see anything feminine about me, but I still think I'm one heck of a woman because I'm strong and I'm, I mean, like Coco Taylor, mm -hmm. you know, shake hands with the devil, make him crawl in the sand. That's mm -hmm. how I feel about my womanhood. 
I don't know, but I just, I just don't think. I don't know. I was just trying to change subtitles. No, no, no. Listen, but I think I think that was a good one because I I want to hear the, I want to understand the difference between that because you're 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 drawing a line in the sand between womanhood and femininity. And you could be a dude and be feminine. It's like it's a softness, it's a lilt, it's a this, it's a that. It's like, and I've never been any of that. You know, I I've never been any of that. I've been you just. You know, my husband has told me you think like a dude. And I do. I mean, I'm nervous like a scared person, but I think like a dude uh, a lot of times about, you know, I don't do, I don't understand Valentine's Day. I don't understand flowers. I don't understand anything that most men want to do for the women that make them feel fabulous. Uh, I don't care if you remember my birthday. I don't, I, I don't want to dress up. I don't want to put a dress on. Uh, they made me to be on TV. I do not like to do my hair and makeup. I don't want to, you know, I would rather talk politics than purses. And maybe I don't know what it is to be feminine. Well, I, I think a lot of women would actually identify with the exact statements that you're making. But the thing is, you are actually still able to achieve a loving relationship and, and a long-lasting relationship. So what is it that you think that even though with you not necessarily identifying as feminine, what do you think were some of those things that you were still able to bring to the relationship that, you know, set you apart and, um, you know, a, a strong man was, was more than willing to, to commit to you for, for his entire life? Two rational, reasonable people wanted to do the same thing we had we wanted to raise kids we uh we wanted to have a nice home we wanted to ride trains we always loved riding trains uh he wanted he he had come out of a marriage with a very feminine woman who and they didn't make it Mm. and uh she cooked and cleaned and she was very pretty and she was very put together and she was very very um that's all I want to say about it, because she's still around. <laughs> not, you know, that's not cool. But, you know, but, uh, I mean, she did all of those things that you would list, and they didn't make it. And I don't know if he picked me as, as a, you know, oh, I didn't like it over there, so I'm going to go over here. But I was like, I'm a lawyer. Don't be late. I'm taking care, you know, this, 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 that, and the other. I'm a fearful woman you know, which allows him to be, you know, like the tent pole of my limbic system so I don't, you know, pass out all the time. But um, I just don't, I didn't look back, you know. No, you're beautiful. Back in the, back in the 20, when I was, you know, 27, <laughs> I was doing all right. I'm just saying. I was 105 pounds. You know, hair was long. Well, you, 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 I mean, you're very unique, Judge. You're very unique. And the thing is, you actually achieved some of the highest levels of goals and personal aspirations that anybody could achieve, man or woman. So I'm just very curious. Do you think that, you know, all women or, you know, all women can achieve that? Can all women you know, achieve this strong marriage and still at the same time have this high level of ambition and uh, pursuit of personal aspirations. Okay. <laughs> Not us. Being helpful. I need to be better. Um, <laughs> Are you keeping it real? No, because everybody got to live their life. There is no life. There is no marriage that we can all ascribe to. Everybody's marriage is different. My parents' marriage was exactly the opposite of this marriage. My mother was the emotionally strong one, you know, and my father, she was a stay-at-home mom. She was very feminine. Uh, She cooked, she cleaned, she was beautiful, uh, but she was also the emotional, the emotionally strong one. He was the one with, you know, the high IQ, and uh, bouncing off walls all the time. So she had to stay at home not only to raise the children, but to secure him because he was that. And so she gave him the calm 
that my husband gave me. So I don't see it as a masculine gift. I see it as uh, a gift of someone's calm. And I think, you know, my father was not calm. He could not calm a situation down. Now, he could end a situation. Uh, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> Back in 1963, 64, mommy uh, was on the ground and she wouldn't get up. So my sister knew the telephone, Belmont 5. I knew it started out Belmont. That's in mean, the old days where there was letters in front of the numbers and you would, ooh, Belmont 5, whatever, whatever she called daddy. And as I told you, we used to live in this community of black uh, professionals that built on the outskirts of town because the place that they allowed blacks to live in in the center town was ghetto-ish. So... Daddy called the Black Ambulance Service, because it was the early 60s, Black Ambulance Service to meet them at the house. They come in, because white ambulance services wouldn't pick her up. So they come in, and she's on the ground. As she goes, there's a ringing in my ear. And the guy said, she's bleeding out. We got to take her now, but I don't think she's going to make it. There was a hospital two blocks up. They didn't take black people. So daddy said, take her to Mount Carmel East. He said, yo, man, we can't do that. They won't let her in. He said, take her to Mount Carmel East. So he got in the car and he drove up to the hospital. First, walked in. You can't come in here. You can't come in here. Ignored everybody. Went into the biggest office he could find and said, if my wife dies today for any reason, I'm going to kill your family. All of them. Won't do it this year, won't do it next year, but you'll never sleep again. And the brilliance of that threat was if she died in the parking lot, if they took her and killed her on the table, took her and put her on the table and screwed up, took her on the table and didn't care, if she died on her way to another hospital, he, in one threat, eliminated all of the possible things that could happen to make them successfully, you know, operate on my mother, which they did. And then uh, afterwards, they kept her in a private room, and they were mean to her and all this kind of stuff, and Daddy came and got her. She said, you know, the nurses while saying, you know, niggas don't pay their bills. So this is before hospitals became outrageously expensive. But it was still expensive. Daddy went down to the bank, got a loan the next day, came with a briefcase full of cash, walked in, stacked it off, and said, count it, I want a receipt. That's the kind of strong he was. Mm. But you cannot tell, you cannot let him leave, lose his glasses. He'll tear up the whole house. Uh, he would, if the, if the blinds were all equal distance around the house, he'd break out the window. So... It's not male, female, masculine, feminine. It's like, who am I messing with? And what's his head like? Because if I was the kind of woman that my father needed, my husband wouldn't have loved me. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm being really bizarre today, aren't I? No, no you did no point. Your, your, your dad was a gangster. Like, he was like... Oh. Five foot two inches tall. Yeah. 135 pounds. Worked in a coal mine for two weeks. And then we go to college for two weeks. Coal mine for two weeks. College for two weeks. And I remember there was this one lawyer. Uh, it was a judge. When I was a judge back in Ohio, and I went to a judge's conference, and this judge came up to me and said, can I tell you a story about your daddy? And I said, sure. And he said, when I was a young lawyer, your father had been a lawyer for a while. He'd been out there. We had a case together, and we wanted a continuance, in other words, to 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 knock something back to a later date. And he said, well, listen, I'm going to be in Judge Smith's office today. I'll just put the continuance in. Don't worry about it. You don't have to file nothing. I'll just take care of it. 
And the uh, that couple of days later, he didn't hear from Daddy, and and the other guy was at court, and he was running to Judge Smith, and he says, "Oh, Judge, I just wanted to make sure." Bill Toller said he was, and then the judge he said, the judge put his finger up and said, "Now this is back in the seventies. If Bill Toller said it, then it's true." Mm. The judge just said, "I don't want to hear it." If Bill Toller said it, it was true. I mean, he had that reputation, you know, all of the, I mean, he was, he was extraordinary. And to the extent I have intellect, that is a function of what I got from him. My emotional intelligence, I, I learned from my mother. She had to teach me that. Whatever, you know, IQ points I got, I got from him. Now, you know, just, just to give you some context too, okay, about the, uh, the phrase in here that you don't like on the shirt. The funny thing is this was actually inspired from one of our episodes. We had a brother on here, shout out to K2, um, did a beautiful, beautiful episode um, about him and his family and just kind of the state of men in general. Believe it or not, this shirt is less about women themselves and the way this actually was inspired was about men. We were talking about how men need to create- So they can allow women to be feminine. And right. Exactly. Being, having certain characteristics and making sure they're taking on the duty of man so you can be able to put her in a position to do so. See, now, but you... You know, wait a minute, Sean. Mm -hmm. I stand corrected in that case. You know what I mean? I do. Because I love that. Give me an opportunity to be feminine, whether I take it or not is up to me. But create a space, a safe space for a sister, so she can relax. I love that. That's exactly that's that's yeah. what that's what it's for. So you just the reason I say you are the um what's what's the word? I'm I'm, I'm going blank. You are the outlier, I guess is a for lack of better word, because you just chose not to have it. Like while everybody out here, you, you, it's a buzzword. Everybody out here talking about the soft life. Everybody wants this and that. You said no. I'm gonna take on probably one of the most Asking careers and this vision, this purpose that I have, and you're gonna wear it on your back. And I can't say that, you know, any, uh, I don't think every brother can be able to manage a woman like that, just being very honest. Oh, I don't think so either. I, I mean, I, I, I really don't. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a handful. I, I really, really am. And I remember when I had my first baby, I was like 32, I was not a child. And, um, and I stayed four months at home with him. And my husband came home one day and said, baby, I don't care if I make a billion dollars a year. You will have to work all your life because you are no fun to come home to after you've been at home all day with that baby. <laughs> you know, you need to go to work. And so after my second baby, I took six weeks off. That's it. And then went wow. work. I do better at work. I really, I like working. I, 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 I like to work. I, and I, and I'm not, he does not enjoy me if I am not actively engaged in intellectual uh, pursuits because I'm a pain. I work, you know, a brain that is constantly churning will either churn up good stuff or bad stuff. So you leave it alone long enough and you don't give it anything good to do, it'll find problems, worries, concerns, and issues. Yep. And, it will, and it will create a monster you cannot contain. So my husband was like, you know, bitch, stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> I said that. He never said you that, but I think. Judge, let me ask you this because uh, we recently, so uh, me and Tyshawn were recently uh, launched a, a membership for our YouTube channel. And one of the things we did, we put out a link and we said, hey, we're going to speak to our audience members, the people who support us most for about 15, 20 minutes to kind of get an idea, their background, their interests, those types of things. And what we found with the about 50 people we spoke to, both men and women, that everybody was extremely interested in the show because we talk about relationships. So my thing was, hey, well, if you listen to the show, it, it kind of indicates to me is the signal to me that you want you desire a healthy relationship but when i would follow up with questions about things that they're doing to attract or pursue a relationship 
most of the responses I got was, hey, I'm not really comfortable with going out. Hey, you know, I've got to work or I got to give a lot to my kids or my family. And really, a lot of these people, I would say the majority of them, weren't doing anything to actually attract that person, right? So my question for you is, for the men and women out there who are having issues with self-worth and actually invested in themselves, what? how do you think that, you know, these people can work to develop a sense of self-worth so they are able to potentially attract and maintain that healthy relationship with, with another person? My, my thing is always, everybody tends to live narrow narrowly you know what i mean in a, in a very this is what we do you know day after day we do this this and this if you and if you continue to do the same things and go to the same places you will continue to run into the same people the same men and the same women if you want to expand your dating pool, pool expand your mind do something that interests you take classes go to stuff where you meet different kinds of people in different places in different societies i met eric at a work function I didn't go nowhere. You know what I mean? I just didn't. I didn't like going out. I didn't date for like four or five years before I met him. And a friend of mine of his introduced us at a work function. But if you wanted to meet me, you had to do, you had to be taking Russian lessons, French lessons, piano lessons, uh, uh, tennis. You know, I'm always learning something. And I meet people, I meet interesting people when I do interesting things and mm -hmm. I've never gone out and looked for a relationship. I looked for depth and meaning. And then this brother just happened to be in one of the rooms I went through while searching for same. Oh, I love that. I never looked for a relationship. I looked for depth and meaning. And therefore I found what I was looking for. I want to, I want to ask you this too, because you, another thing that we, I think that's what the late great Kevin Samuels, what he was uh, well known for was his ability to criticize people on their standards of dating and relationships. He, uh, uh, in many ways, you know, would highlight this level of what he would call delusion in the dating space and in the market space of what people want and what they're looking for. And I want to talk to you about that a bit too, because you actually went against your mother, who you have such high reverence for. You went against her goodwill and actually selected a man who came to the table with, I think it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, was it five children? Four. Four children. I threw another one in there. So it was All right. Children. I had five and six when I got with it. <laughs> so you have four children, and that already was a red flag for your mom. Your mom was like, do not. You got so much good for you. Don't go after this man that's already bringing four babies to the table. I want to talk about that, 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 that compromise factor, especially when it comes to, you know, finding someone you love, finding someone you want to be with. What do you personally see? Because I want to inspire somebody on how they can be able to uh, understand when to activate that compromise. When it's not settling, it's compromise because it's a difference. What did you see? in your husband to allow you to say, you know what? Even though he's coming and bringing to the, bringing to the table four, you know, four children, some different, you know, women, that's the mother of these children and going against my mom's goodwill, I'm still going to take this on. What did you see to make that tough decision? On a superficial <laughs> on a super fit and now on not such a superficial level even though it might seem to be in the beginning i'm going to own one of the the things that i really can't stand about women what we do which is i married him because he was over six feet now i married him because he was over six feet because my dad was five two my 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 sister is four ten and a half. My grandmother was four eight. I'm five one. There was no way in the world I wasn't going to introduce some height into my genetic equation for my children. Do you know what I'm saying? I didn't like much to offer. I had nothing but short to offer. Now if I knew I was gonna have nothing but but girls, I wouldn't have minded. But if but if I was gonna have dudes, I wanted to be, I wanted to have some inches. So, um, you know, if you were under six feet, you know, I love. <laughs> you could have, 
but you have to work a little bit for it. That, that's the one. But he was like a breakoff point for considering. But what I liked about him was he never bragged. He never cared what he looked like. I mean, he was doing his thing. He didn't die. He was just... He was just so solid and so regular and so, um, and I knew, I knew when, when it was gonna, I liked him and I enjoyed him, but I knew, I said, oh, oh this, this is the dude was, well, there were a couple of things, but one of them was, um, he came late to a date. I don't know. I was like 15 minutes late and uh, I wouldn't go. Because I said, I don't do late. I said, you could have called, you didn't call. I don't do that. And he was on time ever since. Well, hold on, wait, wait. Let, me, let, let me hit it again. He showed up. You was at. You was already at the spot? I was home. He came to pick me up. He came 15 minutes late, and you told him to just go back home? You cold. All <laughs> right. Well, you know, the thing was, my my father was pathologically punctual. He did not book. I mean, we were never late anywhere. We were always early. And now, I mean, when I showed up here, even though I had the wrong time, I was a little early. Mm -hmm. Pathologically punctual. You know, my father taught me that to be late is to be disrespectful. It's to dishonor somebody's time. Uh, if you If you have a problem, you can call. But don't be late. Mm. I started my docket on time. Every, I mean, I remember my bailiff the first time I was, uh, not my first time, but during my first weeks, you know, and it would be nine o'clock and my docket was nine o'clock. And I'm like, okay, let's it. Let's it. I'm getting on the bench. And, and Bill Usel, he's a real nice guy, he said, Judge, can you give people five minutes? Sometimes they get in the parking lot at nine. Sometimes they get at the door at nine. Can you give people five minutes? Because I'm pathological about punctuality. But he saw, oh, well, this woman wants me to be on time. I'll be on time. And it don't make him weak. It don't make it simple. It just, it, it, it got him something he enjoyed for a considerable period of time. Yeah. I like that um, Tyshawn asked that question because it is a, a real relationship between how a, a, a woman and a man move when it comes to dating based on what they experience from their parents. Right. Um, we actually, so we got a, a member actually, I want to say this was Jody Rose. She basically was uh, one of our members. She was giving me, you know, some detail her situation in terms of her relationship. But she said, hey, the reason I want to speak to you guys is because my daughter doesn't seem to have any interest in a long-term relationship. And her thing was, hey, I know what's having a tremendous impact on her is my failed relationships and also um, the relationships that her father has, my daughter's father has brought in the equation. So I want you to talk about this. Uh, could you just give some detail on how you think parental relationships affect children's future um, healthy relationship or potential future potential for healthy relationships? I mean, I think it's everything. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it, to that extent, my husband and I both were very lucky. I mean, his parents were till death do us part. I was till death do us part. You know, most of my girlfriends, you know, got there as well. Uh, and uh, so, what you understand is you don't quit when it gets ugly because you've seen it be ugly, and you see me get you see him get through it, and you and you get to the other side. And what I often like to tell, you know, you write the script for the chip for your children to read by living every day. And what I used to like to tell guys is, you know, your daughter will live the life you give your wife. So if you treat her badly, show up sometimes, don't show up. You're teaching your daughter to tolerate that, or that's how it goes. When a man loves you, occasionally he will. And for women, I always say, don't let, don't live your mother's husband's sins because 
it's easy to get caught up in that. Now, I'm speaking from a pace of privilege. I was born in the 50s, and uh, I didn't have to fight social media. I didn't have to fight. Uh, I mean, I was born in a day and age where it was still old school and old fashioned, you know. Getting pregnant outside of marriage was was was, was a horror, uh, of of of, of you know ginam- uh, ginormous proportions. So, uh, I forgot what I was talking about. I apologize. No, no, no. Uh, pretty much you communicating to us what you would tell mothers in terms of how their relationships impact their their children's relationships. <laughs> I tell you what, my mother did. She would editorialize her relationship with dad because she would say things like, now, what he did wasn't cold, but this is who he is and this is why he's like that. Mm. So this is why I'm I'm not leaving. You know what I mean? And it's like, he's met, he, he's got these mental health issues, but he says, she goes, these are the lines that I drew and she told me what they were. And he said that those were the lines that he could not cross. And everybody probably thought that she didn't draw the lines in the right places, but my mother knew who she was and she knew what she could do. And I know I get a lot of grief for talking about my mother and father's relationship because my father was a handful and everybody thinks my mother should have left. That having been said, you know, the last 10, the last seven years of their marriage was extraordinarily happy and funny and fine. We all got educated. We all got out. We all were happy. We all laughed about all the bad crap that happened to us. And, there were, you know, everybody came out on the other side and wasn't nobody mad about nothing. So I don't, you know, sometimes I worry about talking to my, my father because, you know, sometimes you get in the comments, you know, she was in an abusive relationship and she should have left. And she was in a difficult relationship, no doubt about it. And she considered leaving a couple of times, but she stayed. And I'm not telling people to stay in a bad relationship. He never hit her. That, you know, she goes, that was like, you know, you can't hit me. You can't put your hands on me in any way, shape, or form. And, but he was still a lot to work with. But, and a lot of people criticize my mother for having done that, but Shout out to your mom for staying in there and hanging in there through it all. And, and, and I just, I just don't, I don't want, I always, I, she always, she always gets criticized for that. And I just think that she was brilliant to be able to handle him and then get him to a place where he was cool. And he loved her and cared for the whole time. Just every once in a while, that crazy in his head got in front of him and he'd break things and got from it. Yeah. You know, uh, we had, we starting to do these live shows now on, on Monday and Wednesday nights. We bringing in like real married people, Judge Lynn. Like I'm talking about, we had a panel of all men last Wednesday, this past Monday, yesterday, we had a panel of all women. And we talked about times they've been pushed to the brink of wanting divorce. How they, what was the situation? What took them there? How did they navigate it? Some people got divorced, some didn't. And interestingly enough, the panel were all brothers, right? When we started talking about their philosophy on divorce, it was interesting because it was, I'm talking about they were staunch. It was all anti-divorce. Like, I'm not divorcing my wife. I I will, no, like, you got to do this. You got to do that. You need that pain to grow, blah, blah, blah. That was just the common consensus. Now, when we had the table with the ladies, different. I brought it and I said, ladies, you know, and I even told them, I, I even threw a bone. I was like, aside physical abuse, can pretty much weather everything else. Can we just take, is it realistic to say we're going to just take divorce off the table and that's just not even something that we'll entertain? And it just, it seemed a lot more timid. It was like, I mean, I wouldn't say anything, but it was kind of like this, you know, it was kind of, it, it could still happen depending on this, you know, how intense things might have gotten. And that just seemed to oddly align with the fact that women just seem to also file for divorce just a little bit more than men do. A whole lot more than men do. A whole lot more than men do. Uh, I want to ask you about that in your perspective. 
it's a couple of things. Like back in the day, you know, I started thinking and, and researching and reading about this stuff 30 years ago. So things were very, very different. And what you would often, if you talk to divorce attorneys that uh, concentrated on representing men, uh, they would always say to you at some point in the conversation, you will not believe how many men come to me and say, I never saw it coming. She is divorcing me out of the blue. Uh. And and when ta- when you talk to the and so when you do the re- you talk to the women about that he said I was telling him the whole time but he just wouldn't listen. Mm-hmm. It was like you know I'm unhappy. This is not good. But we go along to get along. We still taking care of things and doing it. It's happy. It's not good. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And. I remember this one one minister was talking about, uh, yeah, you know, I was in this ministry and I was really excited and a couple people were pulling my coat and saying, you know, your wife feels left behind, your wife feels left behind. And like, no, she isn't. She's on the vision. He goes, next thing I knew, I, I was getting a divorce and I didn't, didn't see it coming. And then I realized everybody told me, but I didn't see it. I think that sometimes men rest comfortably in the in, in the marriage space and so much is taken care of, of them for them. And they also feel like, and often they talk, I am the leader. So therefore my agenda is appropriate and and what she should come on to and don't spend a lot of time, well, where does she want to go or what does she need? And when you look at it like that, you tend to stay because the relationship will get better. She will get in line. And... When you're a woman, it's like the relationship will never get better because he's not going to change. Now, as time has gone on, I think it is it's become different. I think all of us have become so attached to social media. We say what we think sounds good so often, we fool around and believe it ourselves and then act in a manner that is not in our best interests because we done talked so much crap for so long about what I'm not taking and what I'm not doing and this, that, and the other, that you feel that's how you really feel it and it's not true. Now, I haven't, I don't have much data on that second part. First part, yeah. Second part, no. It sound right, though. <laughs> it sound right, though. I'm not, I ain't taking nobody cheating on me. He cheat, I'm gone. I'm going to send him right round right away. Oh, oh, I put up some stuff in my marriage where people were like, what the hell are you doing? I mean, you got to, this, 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 this. Yeah, I mean, we had some ugly, ugly, ugly stuff going on. And uh, and I said, I'm, I'm getting through it. Well, why you, what, what do you say to that? How do you deal with that? When you got somebody else outside of you, you got the social pressure, because it's a tough place in marriage where you do want to talk to people and you want to get counsel because, you, I mean, it's just things you got to go and how to know to manage through. But at the same time, you open it up and being vulnerable about the things going on in your relationship now opens you up to judgment. So now if you got people judging you, you got people saying you need to leave them because, you know, that's especially depending on who you get advice from, the first thing is going to be to leave them, right? How do you go about managing that pressure that you're getting socially of people now giving you advice for how to handle the stuff in your relationship? I pick and choose who I talk to. I want to see what's happening. I, you know, if, if what's happening over your house ain't cool, I ain't going to ask you what I should do with mine. That's number one. And number two, I had a very, 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 very small social friend, one or two girlfriends and a sister who knew what was going on, and my mother knew what was going on. She was yelling at me, you know, like, hey, what I told her, she told me, she says, you can't keep making these phone calls about how unhappy you are unless you're willing to change. And I was like, okay, and I'm willing to change. And then I changed, so he had to change, and so everything worked out. But I don't, I didn't put none of it on, you know. I didn't tell people, except for the ones really trusted, you know except for the women that I really knew had been through some things and got it. And if you want to be a friend of mine, um, I'm not a terribly good friend to people, uh, I don't think. I mean, I'm just not, uh, I'm so incredibly uh, self-contained. 
uh, that I don't have a lot of girlfriends, but the girlfriends I have, what are intelligent, well-educated, married, and uh, they don't do a lot of social media. Mm. How important is that, you think, in terms of how important that would be to, to your spouse, that you have a, a very healthy and responsible group of friends? Because the reason I ask this is because I think it, it seems to be, this is what the message is portrayed that, you know, hey, I can be different from my friends. That's them and that's not me. So just from your perspective, how much of an impact do your friends have a good ones impact your relationship? Me, no, because I'm just bitter on me. You say something I don't like. You know, I'm the woman here 15 minutes later, I want to talk to you. And, you know, I get rid of friends. I mean, if you're not if if you're not positive for me, I just kind of drift off. Mm -hmm. so, so, but I, you know, I'm the worst person in the world to ask about how to deal with friends on because I'm a terrible friend. I'm a good friend to my good friends. Most people don't make friends with me because I got a lot of acquaintances but I don't really talk to a lot of folk. You know what I mean? I get it. I don't have. I remember when I was doing that. I was writing uh, "Judge Me Not," the uh, episode, the uh, scripted drama, and the actress that was playing me said, "I've read the scripts, and what I don't understand is where are the leading characters' girlfriends?" And I looked at her and I said, "Oh shit! I guess I just didn't have it." Wow. I didn't write them in because I didn't have the reference for that. So, you know, I do, you know, I don't, I'm just so, I mean, me and Eric were cool. We sit in the house all day long, every day, look at each other. You know, that big deal was what we gonna do for lunch. You know what I mean? I mean, I just, we were very self-contained. So I don't think I'm a good person to ask. Mm. No, just just I want I want I want to close it out here, um, because I'm I'm just generally curious because just you with with this long life you've had with this connection, you know that you've had with Eric. I just love man. If if my wife talks about me the way you talk about Eric, you are. I I, I did something very right in my marriage. That's actually my goal. But even you know after you know a, a relationship like that is is in the place that it is where you know it it now ends or you know he leaves this earth do you even like open your mind up or do you even see you having the capacity to ever love that intensely again or do you think it's just at this point like you feel like that was enough love for this lifetime had it it was there loved it enjoyed it I ain't compromising for nobody else no more. You know what I mean? I had, you know, I I I beat the game. I won the lotto. You know what I mean? I got I got first prize every morning. First prize, first prize, first prize. I I have no interest in creating some ersat version of the perfection. And it, the marriage wasn't perfect, but it was perfectly done, if you know what I mean. It, the mar it was, you don't get a marriage without complications and difficulty. And we had those complications and difficulty. It made us stronger, it made us better. And those last 10 years were just outstanding. And, you know, that took 30 years to get. And I'm not, I can't see it. Well, Judge, I mean, we, we until the day I die. We, um, you know, we we just really appreciate you for for being so vulnerable and sharing with us. And um, I apologize. Not the interview I wanted to do. Judge, let me tell you something. The people that's going to hear this, they they are going to experience a transformation because it's a lot of people who 
have serious issues with either even open themselves up to grief, let alone, you know, having the strength to 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 try to move move past it, if, if you will. So I, I think what you what you share with us today, I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Like this is this is good for the people and, and, and I hope it's, it's it's valuable to you as well. Judge, I have no regrets for having you on here. I appreciate every bit. Okay. Okay. We love you, Judge. Okay? Yes, ma'am. You go ahead and enjoy it. Hey, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode here of Hardly Initiated. Thank you guys here for tuning in. Y'all send Judge Lynn your prayers, your you. love. Mm-hmm. Y'all know what she's going through, man. She's been through a lot. It's, it's tough to lose a loved one. I mean, that you've been with, um, you know, for so many decades at a time, built a life with, lived through just about every different archetype that you evolve into. And, you know, they're no longer here, man. And I appreciate Judge. Judge told us, she said that, yo, listen, y'all were the purse. Y'all were the last interview I had right before he passed. You have my word that I will be, yo, you will be the first interview when I get back into it. And I appreciate you for being a woman of your word and giving us the opportunity to have that conversation with you. Both the opportunity this time and last time. And the judge is amazing. The judge is amazing. And the thing is, I, I know, you know, she was a bit upset at the end there, but the, the, the level of impact that this is going to have on anybody who even gets 15 minutes to listen to this is going to be tremendous because there's a lot of people out there that are that are just afraid and not quite willing to to put themselves out there and i don't know who's discussing these kind of issues with this level of depth of vulnerability out there anyway so for us to be able to put something like this out and, and judge land to, to 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 help us out with it i think is amazing and um Yo, if, if this if this had any impact on your life, if this has done anything to improve your self-worth and understanding and confidence and, and just anything as it relates to your future moving forward, please drop a amen in the comments. And I think this was gonna be huge, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um guys, listen, I want you guys to I want to encourage you guys for those of you who may have missed it, Monday and Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. we have our live show. Come interact with us. Come have a conversation with us. The live chat is so fun. We're going to have a good time. Again, y'all send y'all prayers and blessings over to Judge Lynn. All right, matter of fact, if you're really feeling it, I want you to go ahead, send her a DM on Instagram, okay? Yeah. Send her a message. She Let me tell you, she personally manages her Instagram just, herself. Just say, I love you. That's it. That's it. That's it. Just, just, just send her a great message because, listen, she can't receive too much love in this place in her life. But I appreciate you guys for tuning in here to another episode of Hardly Initiated. Listen, we are out.